if you know me much at all, you know I'm a Tar Heel fan. Someone in Revival, I was speaking a couple of weeks ago, and a man who works with wood and things like that, and he, he designs little trinkets and stuff. That's what, he, that's, that's what his livelihood is. He's a retired Marine and lives down just outside of Jacksonville. And he came to church one night and he said, I made something for you today. And I'm like, did you? And, you know, sometimes when somebody tells you that, you kind of, you know, you don't know what to expect. You get kind of squirrely about it. But he put that in my hands. And I thought, man, I don't know if you can see it. It's a, it's a Tar Heel emblem. It's the ram, Ramses. And then on the back, he said, and now this is for when in church people aren't amening like you think they should. So he put that on there. And I thought, well, hey, I can't, I can't even show that to anybody until their football team wins again. So, I, because I, I'll be a laughing stock. So, thankfully, they won Thursday night, so I brought this today, and I broke out my socks. Amen. <laughs> Just to show that, hey, I, I hadn't forsaken my team. My granddaddy attended Carolina. My daddy attended Carolina. Being a Tar Heel fan is just one of those things that it runs in the family. And you have your own little affiliation for those of you that, you know, have sports teams and things like that. I remember several years ago, I went to a North Carolina State Wolfpack football game. I went, went with some gentlemen in the church here who have good seats, great seats right behind the bench. And we were there, and we tailgated and, and all that. And so I told Aaron, I said, hey, I'm going to this big football game at NC State, but there's a problem. She said, what's the problem? I said, I don't have any clothing that's NC State whatsoever. Because when I was growing up, I'm a 70s child, okay? I'm not ashamed to admit that to you. And, and growing up in the 70s and 80s, Carolina's biggest rival wasn't Duke at the time. At least I didn't think it was, right? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Carolina's biggest rival was State, you know? And, and, and so I, I grew up watching football games, basketball games with my granddaddy. And buddy boy... It was always serious when Carolina was playing, but it was real serious when we were playing the pack. And I mean, there were times when he'd be watching a football game, and if Carolina would be losing, and it was obvious we were not going to be able to pull it out, or a basketball game, he'd just he'd he'd sit in his recliner, and he had this old green cloth recliner. He'd kick those legs down. He wouldn't say a word. He'd walk over to the TV, this is for the days of remote control, by the way, and he'd mash that button and walk out of the house, not just out of the room, brother. He'd walk out of the house. And I remember thinking as a kid, well, I reckon that game's over with, you know, we ain't watching that. I remember thinking, my, my granddaddy passed away in 1989, and so when I went to this football game, it was just a few years ago, and I remember I told Aaron, i got to go somewhere and buy something that's NC State because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be sitting right behind the bench. I can't go in there like a yahoo, you know, and, and, and like some bum 
And, and I thought, I surely can't wear my Tar Heel t-shirt up on in there, you know. I mean, how would that look? I, I, I was afraid, knowing the state fans, that, that I'd get a beer bottle broken over my head or something like that. But I'm, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. So anyway, I, I, I remember going to the store, trying to find, I, I went to the mall, trying to find some NC State something that I could buy and put on. So I had this red shirt, bought this NC State ball cap. I'm like, hey, I'm ready to go to the state game. Even though I'm not a state fan, I'm a Tar Heel fan. And I remember thinking, and I know you're going to think this is crazy, I remember thinking as we're walking in, and I'm there in the midst of a sea of red. And I've got on red. And I ran into some other people who knew me. They were from the hilltop church. up in, and, and they knew me and they knew I was a Tar Heel fan. And when they saw me with the NC State stuff on, they looked at me and they're like, what are you doing here? What are you doing with that state stuff on? Have you converted? That's what they said. I'm like, no, no, I'm just here, man. I'm just here. I never will forget. I've mentioned to somebody, I said, look, I said, if there is something to rolling over in your grave, and there ain't. But if, if it were possible, I said, if my granddaddy could, could catch a glimpse of me here at an NC State football game decked out in NC State stuff, I said, he wouldn't just be rolling over, he'd be in a constant twirl right now. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I almost felt... Well, I'm going to just be honest and tell you how I felt. I felt like a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> I, I was, well, maybe a sheep in wolf's clothing. That's what I should have said. <laughs> I was a Tar Heel in wolf pack clothing, right? And there's a sense in, man, I, I felt like a traitor. I felt like a traitor. That was silly, 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 silly illustration. Because we're about to read a passage about a man who didn't just feel like a traitor. He was a traitor. He was the worst kind of traitor. He was an imposter. He was a fake. He was a betrayer. He was a hypocrite. He was. In the true sense of what hypocrite means, hypocrite means play actor. Nobody ever acted the part quite as good as what he did. Of course, I'm talking about Judas Iscariot. It's interesting if you study the etymology of his name. Judas. Jude. Judah. Judas. His name, very name means praise to the Lord or the praise of God. He was a typical Jewish child raised in a typical Jewish home. He was an average, ordinary Israelite. He didn't grow up hating God. 
In fact, he grew up a zealot. He grew up very, very religious, very devoted to Israeli Jewish causes. He was a nationalist. He was a patriot. He was raised in the south there in Israel. Many believe he was from a town called Kurioth. And it's interesting that the name Kurioth, it literally means the city of the assassin. Let that sink in. Some scholars even believe that either Judas himself or those in that area from Kurioth that they were associated with a group of militant patriots called the Sicarii. Even in later on, after uh, the ascension of Christ, in around uh, 60 AD, AD 60, even all the way to AD 70, uh, that, that this Sicarii, this movement of militant uh, 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 Israelites, patriots, Right-wingers, we would even say that they even would take action against the Romans to try to drive the Romans out. The Romans were the occupational force there in Israel. And I'm not trying to kill you with a lot of, a lot of needless historical detail, but you got to understand the region where Judas was from. Very pro-God. Very pro-Israel, very pro-Jew, uh, Jewish. They, were, they were, were, were just totally devoted to nationalism. Longing, longing for the Messiah to come. That's Judas' background. So when he became part of the twelve, nobody was shocked. I mean, it was, it, was, it was like, duh, sure, that makes perfect sense. I mean, look at him. He looks the part. And now that the Messiah has come, time out, now that the Messiah, the political Messiah, oh man, he's going to drive out the Romans. He's going to... Come in with a sword swinging. He's going to take care of business. And those of us that are with him, we're going to get to reign. We're going to get to sit in uh, seats of power and authority. We're going to get to reign right alongside of him. No wonder. That's why James and John, that's why their mama came to Jesus and said, Hey, uh, who, who, who's going to get to sit on your right hand? Who's going to get to sit on your left hand? Because the seats of power who sat on the right hand and who sat on the left hand right next to the leader, that was positions of authority and power. And man, everybody wanted those seats. And guess who, remember, even at this last supper scenario, guess who's sitting on one side and who's sitting on the other side? John, the beloved apostle, is leaning on Jesus, so we know he's on one side. But then, you know who's on the other side? Judas. Judas was even, if I could say it this way, the envy of the other disciples. They, they all wanted that seat. They wanted that position. It was a natural seat for him to have. He obviously was good with money. 
He didn't sleep during math class. He was good with a pencil. He kept track of every single cent. He was trustworthy. You're not going to entrust the funds with somebody that has dubious integrity. Nobody. Nobody gave it a second thought a whole year before in John 6, verse 70, when he said, hey, one of you is a devil. One of you is going to betray me. Nobody, none of the disciples ever gave it a second thought. They couldn't even fathom that one of their 12 would be that, much less Judas. If it's anybody, it ain't going to be Judas. And that's why they were still in total shock and they missed it. It went over their head. One writer said, A.T. Robertson said, that when Jesus made that statement, it was like a lightning bolt coming out of a clear blue sky. It didn't make sense. When he emphatically said, when they started asking, Lord, who is it? Who is it, Jesus? Who is it? Is it I? Is it I? Tell us. Tell us who it is. He said, it's the one to whom I give the sop. They would take the bread, the unleavened bread. They would dip it in the cup of juice. And then the master of the meal would hand it to the next person. Jesus said, he grabs the cup and he dips it in. And he said, the one to whom I give this, that's the betrayer, that's the traitor. And he hands it to Judas. Because Judas was next in line, right next to him. And that's why position, his outward integrity, the fact that he was so pro-God, the fact that he was so pro-Israel, the fact that he had everything outwardly all lined up when Jesus gave him the sop, they missed it. I want to talk to you this morning about that traitor. In fact, it's the greatest betrayal in the history of mankind. We notice the declaration here in verse 18. Would you look at it? Jesus said, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. That's a direct quote. From Psalm 41 verse 9. Now I I tell you before it come. That when it has come to pass. You may believe that I am. Or I am he. The he being added by the translators. Verily, verily I say unto you. He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. He that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Verse 21. When Jesus had thus said. Notice this gang. Please don't miss this. He was troubled in spirit. Stop right there and look at me please. That means that Jesus as he sat there and he was saying, sharing these words. Listen carefully. That something obviously came over the countenance of Jesus. 
Now, there's no way for you and I to even fathom what was going through his spirit and his mind at that moment. We're talking about infinite God. We're talking about infinite holiness. We're talking about purity, goodness, and mercy in its purest and highest form, in its infinite form, all embodied in one person, the person of Jesus. And he's sitting there telling these men that somebody right next to him is going to be the betrayer and the traitor. Sure, his countenance was changed. Yes, he was loaded down with heaviness. It's interesting that John, the writer who was sitting just on the other side of him, made note of this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That Yes, there's no way for you and I to even imagine what was going on in his mind and heart right then. Knowing all this was unfolding and had already Judas had already planned and plotted this mess I want you to understand that from a human perspective it seems that Judas was the one driving this but I want you to never ever forget listen carefully everybody look right here at me no daydreaming right now don't miss this I never want you to forget and I don't ever want to forget that even all this was according to the sovereign plan of God Hear me well. God was not out of control. God had not lost control in this very moment. In fact, he was very much in control. The crucifixion of Christ was not a mistake. The crucifixion of Christ was planned before the foundation of the world. All the way in eternity past. And every member and every player and every action was allowed sovereignly by God so that his plan would be fulfilled in this world. And let me say this to you. You say, well, explain this. I can't fully explain it, but it's the truth. Listen carefully. Had there not been a Judas taking the action he did, there would have been no betrayal, and Scripture would not have been fulfilled. But Judas still has a responsibility as an individual for the choices that he made. He's not guiltless. He wasn't a robot. But God used even his sinful choice as part of his divine plan to see that his sovereign plan of redemption was going to be fulfilled. You say, wow. I say, wow, with you. Because I say, wow, because what an awesome, majestic, holy God we serve. That even in the biggest mistake of mankind... His glory is going to be seen. Don't you ever forget the greatest theme, the greatest thing in this universe is the glory of God. Keep reading in verse 21. He says, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to you, one of you shall betray me. It's going to be one of you. So he gives them a declaration. Betraying Jesus was going to be carried out by one of them in that very group. Somebody sitting around that table, and they were closer to him than you can even imagine. Then we see the speculation beginning in verse 22. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit. Verse 22, then the disciples, when he said that, looked at one another. Doubting of whom he spake. The word doubting there, verse 22, means to be at a loss. They were scratching their head. They were confused. They were in a, a, a mental wilderness wondering, who's it going to be? Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him. 
to John that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He, John, then lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, million dollar question, who is it? James? Is it Nathaniel? Is it Andrew? Is it Philip? Who is it? I guarantee you in John's mind he never even entertained that it could be the guy sitting just on the other side of Jesus. So we see the clarification. Notice what Jesus said. Verse 26. He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. When he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Verse 27, after the sop, Satan. That's the only time in the Gospel of John, Satan is called Satan. Satan entered into him. That's why there's no doubt in anyone's mind, Judas Iscariot was possessed by Satan himself. There have been multiple, multiple individuals in history's time who have been possessed and influenced by demons. But this man, this man here, only about the Antichrist will it be said and true that Satan himself entered into him. Satan entered into Judas. Jesus clarified for them who it was going to be. But they were so dull in their understanding, they still missed it. Then said Jesus unto him, That that thou doest, go do it quickly. I know what you're going to do, Judas. I've known in eternity past. I wasn't caught off guard by this. This has been part of my plan, not your plan. And what you are perpetrating here, go do it and take care of it. Why? Because my time has come. I'm ready. (laughs) You go do it. And the Bible says, verse 30, it shows us the execution of the plan. Look at verse 28. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag. He was the treasurer. He had the money that Jesus had said unto him. Buy those things that we need of against the feast. Or that he should go give something to the poor. So verse 30 tells us the execution of the plan. He then having received the sop. Immediately went out. And notice this phrase. It tells us. It tells us something, listen, about the time of evening. It says it was night. Darkness had fallen around Jerusalem, but listen carefully. One writer said it was far, a far blacker night in the soul of Judas than in the sky over his head. So I just gave you a Bible lesson on Judas. Some of you knew everything I was going to say before I said it. Because you've heard it before. So the big question today as we close is, big whoop. I've heard that a thousand times, CP. What does all this mean for me? Let me tell you. What's the takeaway? Let me give you a takeaway. Number one, listen carefully. Here's the lesson for you, my friend. Beware of an unconverted heart. 
There was one thing Judas was good at. Playing the part. How in the the world could it be that Judas... See, I believe Judas was never saved. I believe he was never outwardly converted or inwardly converted. He conformed outwardly, but he was never regenerated. Gang, listen, how, 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 can you, how can you hang out with Jesus for three years? Three years, you're with Jesus all the time. And you never get saved? Yeah, I understand that. Because there are people in churches that preach the gospel week and week out, week and week out, service after service. The Bible, the Spirit of Christ is real. He's moving in hearts. And yet, you hang out, and you hang out, and you come, and you show up. And I know it's easy to have it. And you've never truly been converted. You've got man-made religion, man-centered religion, and man-approved religion, and man-generated religion, but you don't have salvation in Jesus Christ I started to say there's a world of difference but friend there's an eternal difference I'm saying it's possible if it's possible for Judas to hang out with Jesus intimately for three years then it's possible for you my dear precious friend to be sitting on this church for you today having come to this church or another church or a member or have been baptized or this or that and you know the lingo you know the religion you know the outward everything but you've never truly been converted gang you've never been truly born again From the inside out. You've never been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. Beware of an unconverted heart. Am I speaking to someone this morning? Am I speaking to a young person? To a middle-aged person? To an elderly person? My dear friend. And you have been around religious things in church for much of your life. But you've never been saved. You've never been converted. You've never been born again. Would you examine, I'm asking every person in this room, would you examine yourself to see if you are in the faith? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. If you're in the faith. Because if it's possible for Judas to be unconverted, and he was, then it's possible, friend, for you to be in this room today unconverted without Christ. Second takeaway, beware of faulty motivation. Judas was deceived. He thought Jesus came to drive out the Romans. He thought he was the national hero that had arrived. And so when Jesus began to get more explicit about the divine plan that included a cross, Judas didn't sign up for that. That ain't what he wanted. He didn't want this to end at a cross. He wanted this to go all the way to the throne. Come on now, let's rally the troops. Let's get the group together. Let's let's build up our numbers and build up this army so when we storm the palace, we've got the numbers. 
See, his motivation wasn't spiritual at all. It was completely, completely faulty and wrong. What's your motivation this morning? Why are you here? Why do you do what you do? What, why, why do you do whatever spiritually generated thing that you do? What's your motivation? Man-centered or God-centered? Is it for publicity? Is it for status? Is it for recognition? Is it for respectability? What's your motive for why you do what you do? Beware of your motive. Beware of an unconverted heart. Beware of faulty motivation. And then finally, listen, beware of bitterness and resentment. In American history, I want you to tell me his name. The greatest example of a traitor, Benedict Arnold. Historians believe, and those who studied his life believe, that the reason Benedict Arnold turned was not because all along he was sympathetic to the British. But they believe they can trace it back to when he was passed over by General Washington for a promotion. Washington promoted someone else and basically ignored Benedict Arnold. And soon after that, he began making plans to get word to the British that he was willing to be turned. What motivated Judas? Greed? No. Because truth is, 30 pieces of silver wouldn't squat. He wasn't going to be rich. <laughs> we bust on him. Oh, I, can't believe, I can't believe he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Hey, there's some of us in this room, we sell Jesus out for a whole lot less than that. I don't say that with a smart attitude either. It's the truth, though. We sell Jesus out for a cheap thrill. We sell Jesus out for this and that. We sell Jesus out for our own ego's sake. We sell Jesus out for a whole lot less. What drove him to do what he did? Because somewhere in Judas's spirit, he felt betrayed. You see, here's the deception of sin. Judas thought Jesus was the imposter. Wait a minute. I've been following this guy for three years. He claimed to be the Messiah. I thought he was the one, man. Come on. I thought he was the one that was going to finally take care of our enemies. He's the imposter. And I'm going to end this mess right now. I'm going to the authorities. I'm going to expose this for what it is. And that's what he did. Judas wasn't driven by greed. He was driven by bitterness 
He was driven by misplaced disappointment. No wonder, no wonder God is very clear in Hebrews 12 where he talks about the root of bitterness springing up and thereby many being defiled. Beware of bitterness. Bitterness in your marriage, bitterness with your children, bitterness in friendships, bitterness in church, bitterness at work. Bitterness in interpersonal relationships, and I'll even go so far as to say, bid bitterness against the Lord. Because bitterness and the seeds and the roots of bitterness can cause us to turn. I want you to understand this morning if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you open your heart to him today? He loves you and he died for you in your place. He was your substitute. If you will turn from your sins and give your life to him, you can be saved today. As a believer, you're here. and God has spoken to you today about a need in your life. Perhaps about your motivation. Perhaps about a root and a seed of bitterness. Perhaps about something entirely not even associated to anything I said this morning. I want you to know today God speaks for a reason. And this altar is open.